You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. I met Angel and Laura at a, a pastor's family camp that we got together and just started hanging out, and I think we liked each other. I know he liked, I liked him. I don't know if he liked me right away, but... It doesn't matter, um, but we just started just kind of hanging out and talking on the phone and spending time together. Uh, Laura, if you, uh, if you know anything about what Annette does in the summer when she goes on the freedom hikes, you, you've seen that. She's posted it on her Instagram and Facebook. Well, well, Laura is the leader of the Freedom Hikers, and that's just really expanded in the, in the last couple of years. I mean, really, it's just, I mean, it, it is just exploded with, the, with people wanting to hike, and what's happening is they're raising funds to help uh, boys, girls, men, women caught in sex trafficking. And so uh, this year, this summer, there's, I think, is there four hikes? Five hikes. There was one just a few years ago. Now there are uh, five hikes. Some of you are part of that. Uh, this year, I think the, the Oregon constituency is going to South Sisters, and they're hiking South Sisters. And so you can go online. Freedom Hikers, if you want to donate or give to that, golly, it's just a great cause, and we want you to be, be part of that. It's just a blessing. And so, Angel and, and Laura, we're so glad you're here. you got three boys you tend to, don't you? Man, that is a, you guys are right in the middle of it right now. I'll tell you, I had to, saw the boys yesterday, and we hang, hung out a little bit, threw the football around, and it's a good family. And uh, I'm so thankful that Angel is in my life, and uh, so much to learn from him and Laura and what God is uh, doing in their lives. They're just, uh, they just jumped in a community and planted this church seven years ago, I think is when it got planted, and, and uh, the, the amazing things, just touching their community in a lot of different ways. So you can pray for them as well. So today, when you hear Angel and you meet Angel and Laura and the boys, just remember that pastoring is not easy, and also remember, especially when you plant a church in a community, it, it takes a lot of time and effort to accomplish that. So those things you know are dear to our hearts here, planting churches, sending out missionaries, making disciples that make disciples for Jesus. So I'm excited, and I think this is the, the heart of Angel and Laura. And so let me introduce to you my friend, Angel. Would you do that? Would you just welcome him? All right, brother man. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Ron. It is a great privilege to be here this morning with you guys. Um, yeah, we've been pastoring, yeah, since 2005. Hi, Kelsey. I know Kelsey there. Sorry to point that out. She, she was from the Tri-Cities. I just recognize her. But, but we've been, Pastor Ron is a, he's a legend in my book. And he, he, I don't know why you would think that I don't like you, but I like you. I didn't want to be one of those like clingy people that wants to like be, like, be all over you or anything, like that, but I like this guy. Um, he's a real guy. He's a, he's a real deal. And there's, there's other pastors that look up to this man. And uh, he's real. He's honest. His transparency flows out of him. And so we, we respect him because of, of that, of the way that he leads. 
um, the way he, he, he knows pain, he knows heartache, and yet he continues to lead his family well, he continues to lead his, his, uh, himself well, he continues to lead his community well. And so thank you for allowing me to be here with you, and it's a great privilege this morning. Yeah, we, we are at the back end of a small vacation that we took to the west side from the, from the desert in eastern Washington, and uh, my boys and I, we got to play in the water, we got to run around, and it's fun to watch them grow up. We got to, I just before I get started, I just want to tell you, it was, it was a blast. We were, going, we, were, we were jumping into the waves out by Cannon Beach, and, uh, and the boys kept saying, let's go further, let's go further. And I'm like, I'm, you know, part of me is like, I love the wonder, I love the fierceness, I love the fearlessness, I, lo- I love the, that, just that, like, let's go explore, let's discover. I love that aspect. Sometimes it gives you, I mean, I, I, you know, you pucker up a little bit. You're like, I don't know if I want to keep going out there further and further into the waves, but it's a, lot, it's a blast to, to be with them, and, and uh, so I'm, I'm thankful we're, we're heading home after, was it 14 days, 13 days of being kind of Ten, you know, camping, doing different things, and this is the, the back end of it. So thank you guys for, for having us here. Uh, this morning, what I want to talk about is, is a very simple reminder for us all. It's um, God is in all places at all times for all people. Can you guys say that with me? Ready, set, go. God is in all places at all times for all people. All of us, we're on a different, we're on a journey, spiritual journey. And with some of us, we started a long time ago. Some of, some of us, we just started recently. And at, at different places in our journey, we face pain, we face suffering. Some, you know, some, some of the things that were talked about during, during uh, worship is we, 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 we seek for peace, and there's times where there's turmoil. I heard a pastor say one time that you're, in, you're either in a season of transition, you're coming out of a transition, or you're going into one. And sometimes in those transitions, there's pain, and there's suffering, there's discomfort, and so this morning, what I, I feel like there's going to be a little bit of, I've, I'm praying that we receive a little bit of peace and a little bit of hope and a little bit of perspective as we walk this out. Because a lot of times, God won't just change our situation, but he will shift our perspective and that brings hope and, and peace. And so I want us to look at Psalm 139. If you have your Bibles, please go there. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen somewhere around here. And uh, we're going to look at verses 8 through 12. And in this passage, we're reminded that God is with us all the time. He's in our pain. He's in our joy. He's in our life. He's in, our, he's in everything with, around us and in us. So let, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to worship you freely, that we get to ra- lift our voices to you and, and sing praises to you and wait to experience who you are, God. And I pray, God, that this morning, all of us in this room, we experience you more and more. That we get to receive hope and joy. We experience you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's what David said in Psalm 139. He says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. And if I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell... By the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. God is in all places, at all times, for all people. I think a lot of times we, we tend to limit the possibilities of how God is speaking to us. And sometimes we limit 
our view of how he builds our faith. I think sometimes we limit our view of how he really, really, really loves us. As I was preparing to, to, for this message, um, God began to remind me of how he, he builds our faith even before we learn to trust him. He begins to learn our faith even before we say yes to Jesus, even before we say yes to the gospel, even before we, we enter a community of faith like this. He begins to build our faith. And I'm reminded by that because of what it says in verse 9. It says this, If I dwell with the farthest, by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. As I learn, as we learn what this text says, we see that, that whenever the authors would write, would say the word oceans, they were trying to convey a thought in, in respect to um, chaos or danger or, or unrest. Anytime you see that in the Bible, that's, that's kind of an idea that they're trying to convey is this, this unrest, this chaosness. Is that a real word? Close. I don't know, it's pretty close, okay. And, and the text says that in those moments, sometimes in those seasons of our life, he gives us support and he gives us strength. I remember the first time I began to practice faith and I didn't even know that I was getting ready to practice real faith in Jesus. And I, uh, I remember my, my mother one time when I was eight years old, um, she, said, she said, don't worry, it's gonna be better on the other side. And the context with that was uh, that we lived in Mexico, I grew up in Mexico, I, I was born in Nevada, but then when, it was, when I was a baby, my parents, we all moved back to Mexico, and we lived in a place called Zamora, Michoacan. And in this place, we, my parents were trying to make it, they were trying to build, build a business, they were trying to start a life over there, and, and um, the economy in the, in the late 90s was really, really bad in the, in the spot that we lived in. And we were, we were starving, basically. And my parents said, well, we're gonna go back to America. The problem was, was that uh, my parents were not, they didn't have any visas, they were not naturalized, there was nothing. I was a U.S. citizen, but they were not. And we, they, had, they said, we have, to, we have to smuggle ourselves over into America. And so um, when, she said, when she told us, she said, we're going we're gonna to go, go to America, I didn't know what she was talking about. And she goes, don't worry, it's going to be better on the other side. That's what she said. It's going to be better on the other side of, uh, the, other side of the border. And, and so I trusted that. I said, okay. It's going to be better on the other side. And I kind of put that in my heart and my mind everywhere. And, and we, we took off. And so what you do when you want to cross the border illegally, which is what we did, is you hire a, a coyote. And they smuggle you over. And there's different ways that they do this. The way that we went across was uh, a guy shows up in a pickup truck. He puts a layer of people at the bottom of this truck, puts a, a piece of plywood over the top, and then layer, lays another layer of people on that and then a canopy. And then you drive through the desert for hours until you can find a spot we can cross over without being detected by INS or ICE or whoever it is that is trying to find you. And so that's what we did. And I remember being, I was only, the only kid in the, in, the, in the bunch. My sisters were in a different spot up, up in the cab with my mom. And I remember being just, uh, I, it was smashed in there. I couldn't move, I couldn't breathe, and it was hot. It was in the daytime, it was over 100 degrees out. And we drove for hours. I remember passing out. I remember, and I, and I think it still gives me, it gets to me a little bit. I'm thinking my, about my eight-year-old little boy thinking and wondering, am I going to die? You know, I remember feeling that. Am I going to die? And I'd pass out, and I'd come back to, and I, and I wanted to be out of there so bad. I wanted to be free from that so bad. But I remember, it's going to be better on the other side. 
At some points I wondered, is it going to be better on the other side? Because this is really bad right now. Is it really going to be better on the other side? And so, the, so then I remember feeling just an enormous amount of relief when the, the truck lurches to a stop. And there's a helicopter that flies over. And there's these uh, Border Patrol people, they, they come and grab us and yank us out and put us, throw us in some vehicles and take us over to, back to the other side in Tijuana. And I remember feeling, okay, I can breathe. I can, it feels good now. And then my mom, she paid another several hundred, several hundred dollars per person to smuggle, try, try and smuggle us back over. And this time, instead of driving, we walked for several days in the desert. And in the desert, I'm walking. It's going to be better on the other side. It's going to be better on the other side. Remember, we, we, spent, we spent a day in a sewage tunnel. It's going to be better on the other side. It's going to be better on the other side. And it was... When we saw some horrible things, we saw pe- bodies laying there, motionless. They spent a week in a, in a basement, people sick. It's going to be better on the other side. And I say this because I believe God uses moments in our lives like this, where we, we trust something or someone, where the object of that faith is not him, but he, he uses that as practice. For us to trust him. If the text is right, if this psalm is right, he is in us and working around us and all around, and just, we're not even aware of it, but he's all around us. And if this is true, then all the places where we feel, where, where we feel like we're alone or afraid or abandoned or there's a mundaneness about it, God is there. God is in your Mondays. God is in, God is in, in our pain. He's in our suffering, and he brings meaning into that. And all the while, while he's working underneath, almost in secret, it feels like, he's restoring, he's reclaiming, he's redeeming, he's, he's taking us up, he's bringing us in. Long before we even trust in him or hear the gospel, he's tilling the soil of our hearts. I get great, I get great encouragement from, from verses like, like Ephesians 2.10. Paul says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In the Greek, that word masterpiece is poema, poema, which, which is where we get the word poem. God is writing this beautiful poem in our, of our lives. He's taking the good, the bad, the ugly, and he's creating this poem. I think some of the best poems that we put together are the most honest poems. When we, when we take the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we allow God to make something beautiful of it, that's the best poems. I think that's what he's trying to do in our lives. Robert Frost says something that was a little alarming to me. He says this, poetry is a way of taking life by the throat. Poetry is a way of taking life by the throat. And he's saying, what he's saying is, we have, to, we have to process it. We have to process all the junk, all the pain, all the suffering, and say, okay, let's take it by the throat and allow God to do something beautiful with it. Not, allow, not, not allowing that pain, that suffering, whatever that is, to snuff out our future. It's like that song by Gunger, Beautiful Things. It says, you make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things out of us. He's making beautiful things out of us. I grew up in a world of chaos, like David is saying, by the farthest oceans. There was, there was rage, there was violence in our home, there was abuse, 
I experienced all kinds of abuse, even from, from the Catholic Church. I kind of grew up Catholic. And so at best, I was agnostic. I was an angry agnostic. And if, and if there was a God, I, I would indict him. I would say, you're a disinterested, faraway, cold God. Because I would say, if you, if you are truly loving God, where were you in those times? If you were truly loving God, where were you when I was being beaten and abused? Where were you? And then in, in the macro sense as well, why is there so much pain around us? If you're a good, loving God, why, why do you allow so, so much pain? And so, so I, I felt like religion and God and church was irrelevant. It was some excuse, you know, some way to excuse the complexities of life. And so it was irrelevant to me. But by the grace of God and some miraculous things that happened, by, at age 22, I surrendered my life to Jesus and I started to look back over my life, and I began to recall moments where he was helping me see glimpses of himself, his character, and his kingdom long before I knew him. God is in all places. He's in all times. He's for all people. And I think this is important for us all to grab onto because there's going to be seasons in our, in our lives, whether we've been walking with Jesus for a long time or for a short amount of time, where we need to look back and say, I can see God in my life. I can see the fingerprints of his, of his, of his being with me, even in those moments where I, felt, I thought I was alone and, afraid, and I was afraid and abandoned. I think we need to page through, our, page through the, just the pages of our life and see where he's, what kind of poem he's been writing. And look back, and I think we'll find him. When we do that, I mean, it's difficult sometimes, but I think it'll change us, and it'll give us perspective, and it'll help us in our today turmoils, and our today difficulties. And I don't think they all have to be somber and serious moments. Right? They're, they're, we, can, we can look back and see God, the humor of God. We can, see, we, we can look back and see um, the joy of God, his character, God knew that, that he was going to call me into ministry. He knew that he had a, he had a plan for me. He had a plan for us. And, and so I think he began to show me different things uh, throughout my life that helped me look at the church, that helped me look at his character, that helped me look at him in, in the, the right light, in the correct way. I remember one time um, when I first read Galatians chapter, two, chapter 6, verse 2, where Paul says, Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. <laughs> I love, don't you love Paul? I love that. But I remember when I first read that, the, the very first thing that came into my mind was this. I remember this thought of, uh, of when, when I was a kid. Again, these things just come back, and I remember thinking there's something beautiful in this moment. I remember we were living in Mexico. My parents were trying to make, trying to figure out how to put food on the table. And I remember my dad, he would always come up with different schemes on how to make some money. He was always trying to find different things. He was trying to start a business or trying to do different things. He was trying, he was trying his best. And one day he comes home with this old beat-up car, and he says, I'm going to fix this up. I'm gonna get my, I don't know anything about being a mechanic, but I'm going to get my buddies. I'm going to buy him some Coronas and some carne asada, and we're going to fix this thing up. And, and then I'm going to make a bunch of money when I sell it. And so sure enough, that, that's what they were doing. They were, they were, getting, they were getting the thing fixed up. Um, they, they had worked on the engine. They worked on the transmission. There was only one glitch on it. Was when, when, whenever I, I don't remember exactly the problems, what, what they were with it, but whenever you 
you, you went to change from reverse to drive, it, it just it wouldn't move anywhere. So there was a problem. He still couldn't sell it. It was starting to look good, but he, he still had some problems with it, right? But one morning, I hear the, the engine crank over, and it was early, and I look out the window to see, my da- to see what my dad was about to do, and I, I, look in, I look through the windshield, and it's not my dad. It's some stranger. And I think, oh, uh, there's a dude stealing our car. This, this happens, right? And so before I can alert anyone or say anything, I see my dad. He's, run, he's flying out the door. He's running, sprinting, and he's just, he just has his whitey tighties on, and he's just <laughs> super fast. He's like, that's where they got the Speedy Gonzalez stuff was, was through that. He was fast. And he, get, he gets to the car, and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. And he starts yelling because by, by this time, the car had pulled out, pulled out of the spot where it was parked at, and it was in the street. So it was probably like 20, 30 yards away from where I was, and I'm looking out the window watching this thing. And he starts, um, he starts yelling um, at the person in the car, and he has a gun in his hand. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And he starts shooting. He shoots. Like, and he had this, it was a little tiny pistol, and he shoot, shoots at it a couple times, keeps yelling, keeps yelling. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is interesting. And then my mom comes out. She's in her nightgown. She starts running all around the neighborhood, like waking up neighbors, like, come on out, help us. You know, she's, she's getting everybody, and I'm thinking, this is interesting. I'm going to keep watching this. And so slowly but surely, the neighbors start to matriculate out of the darkness, and they start to surround the car, and they're all, they had, like, like machetes and like pitchforks and all kinds of stuff. And they start walking around the car. You know, they start surrounding this vehicle. And I thought, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And, I remember, and, I remember, and this, the, 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 that was the memory that God brought to my mind as I'm reading Galatians 6, 2, 3. He's showing me community in a very unhealthy way. <laughs> but he's showing me community. Right, because, because growing up, I, I couldn't trust anybody. But God was saying, you can't, you can't trust somebody. I'm showing you, I'm, I'm starting to redeem your view of what community is. So it's important for us to find community, to walk together. Because we have an enemy hell-bent on stealing, killing, and destroying us, robbing us of our joy, stealing our dreams, killing our potential, destroying us. We can't afford not to share in each other's lives. Isolation is death. And when I saw that morning that day, as my dad ran out in his whitey tidies, I saw a strong person. And it wasn't in the clothes he was or wasn't wearing. And it wasn't in the gun that he was wielding. The power that I saw was, was because of the community he belonged to. Later that day, that guy got arrested. He got taken away. But, but it's, it's important that we find environments that it's safe for us to wrestle our faith and grapple with our thoughts, be transparent, be real. A safe place to share our pain, our shame, and our joy, our goals. We got to fight for that kind of community. You, you, we have to fight for that because a lot of people don't know about that. And I know if I know this man, I know that this church, I'm preaching to the choir. We have to help people that don't know what community is understand what community is by loving them and reaching for them, surrounding them with our machetes, <laughs> protecting them. God shows us glimpses of his kingdom, how things ought to be even before we know him or trust him. He builds our faith. He builds our hope. He builds our our vision because he's in it all at all times for all people. Another time that I caught a reflection of God's kingdom 
and his character. And, and, and basically a trait that he desires for us to have is, I, I, and again, I didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect, I look back, he was showing me who he was through this guy named Thomas. Um, earlier I said that I you know, grew up in rage and chaos, and my first year of college, I was beginning to live out the legacy that my father was passing down. I was a rageaholic, I was, I was becoming an alcoholic, a sexaholic, and anythingaholic, and I found my patience being tested by Thomas one day. See, Thomas, he'd walk around, do you have your Bible with you, Pastor? You want to carry, you want to stand up and carry your Bible around like, like this, kind of like this? He'd walk around with his Bible, and he had these little flyers, here, just walk this way. And he'd walk away. No, I don't have a machete. I don't have a machete. machete. He'd walk around. You can come up here. He'd walk around with his Bible, and he would. He didn't have the best social skills, and 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 he would. But he and he wouldn't even say hello. But he'd ask me if I wanted to go to his church, and he'd hand me these little flyers that would say like, "You're." It looked like a dollar bill or something. It would say, "You're worth more than a million dollars" or something like that. And I, and I, it would be annoying to me, right? And so he'd try to hand it to me. So, so he'd be walking around, and he, his, his Bible would be, like, wrapped in this, like, nice cover thing. And he'd be just like, you know, he was, it, can you do that for us? Yeah. There you go. Like, oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so he would do this every day, every day, every day. And I'm like, and I would get annoyed with him. And one day I said, Thomas, show me your Bible. And so he went to show me the Bible, and I said, no, hold it to me like that. Hold it up like this. And I, and I, went, I went as hard as I could. I smacked it into his face. I just, and then he fell to the ground. Can I do it? No, just kidding. No. You, can, you can go back down. Thank you. Give him a hand. Thank you. <laughs> I smacked him with his Bible. He's on the ground. And I, said, and I said, do you still want me to go to church with you? He didn't say anything. And so I said, that's what I thought. And I walked off. Angry. Felt good for a moment. And just living my day. A year and a half later, fast forward a year and a half later, again, I'm surrendered to Jesus. I'm at Bible College at Northwest University, and, and I'm trying to live out what Christ is asking me to do. And what, who do I see walking through campus? Thomas with his Bible. And I run over to him, and <laughs> his face in that moment, his world just collided. He's like, whoa, are you going to hit me again? Like, he was like, no, don't hit, do this. And I, and, I, and I was so excited to see him, and I apologized to him, and I encouraged him, and I thanked him for, be, for persevering, for doing what he was doing. We have an enemy of our soul who wants to attack us and even smack us with our own Bible. I know God was using Thomas to help me, but I'm not sure how God was using me to help Thomas. I, I, I take solace in believing that God used me to help strengthen his faith. So I was just doing Thomas a solid, right? It was a good thing, right? <laughs> he ended up doing missionary work overseas, and I guarantee you, his faith was tested even more overseas, more than getting slapped in the face with a Bible. And it begs the question of us all. If my faith isn't tested, can I be trusted? I mean, Thomas, in that moment, he, he was being tested. God used him. God, God used me to test him. If my faith isn't tested, can I be trusted? It reminds me of Isaiah 41.10. It says, don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, because you will be attacked. Things will come at us, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. We're going to be tested. We're going to be beat up. But God wants to build a Christ-likeness in us. Thomas had that. He had a Christ-likeness about him. He bore my ridicule of him. He bore my mocking of him. 
He bore my shaming him in those moments. He bore the anger that I poured out on him. It wasn't meant for him, and he took it. God was showing me his character of grace and love and humility and perseverance through Thomas. God is for all people. He's gracious and loving, and he pursues us through the Holy Spirit and through you and I. Every time I've seen God's grace and mercy, it's, it's done through people. Have you re- realized that? Have you seen that? A lot of times when we really see grace and mercy, it's through other people. My wife, for example, she has put up with a lot. She's stayed with me. Through me battling addiction, even as a pastor, I, battled, I was battling addiction, she stayed with me. Through, she, she, she endured that. She loved me through it. She, she endured, she, through my battle with dealing with my past, she chose to love me through it. It was God being for me through her. And I remember my pastor, Dave Veach, he, you know, in my lowest moment, I call him up, and instead of spiritually spanking me, he said, Okay, I'm glad you're finally calling and getting help. Let's get you some help. And he supported me, and he walked with me, counseled me. He got other counselors for me. If God is for all people in all places and all times, we, get, we, you and I, we get to represent him at all times and all places for all people. And it's important for us to decide before a dilemma arises, to remember when we've experienced this kind of grace in our lives. From, from others. Because the enemy of our souls, he, you know, he's going to accuse us. He's going to attack us. He's going to try to destroy us, even through people that we love most. Two years ago, my wife and I, we were asked to consider merging with another church. Right? So this, we, we planted a church in Pasco, and we were asked to consider merging with a church in Richland. And it sounds great. Two group, two people that love Jesus come together. It sounds like a great party in heaven. But I'm, I'm, I was looking at all the different statistics, and it says that 80% of church mergers blow up and fail. Right? I, I didn't like that. Right? Because cu- there's culture clashes. People feel like there's a hostile takeover. Um, you know, people saying, well, we've always done it this way. Well, we've always done it this way. And then there's these battles, these struggles that happen, right? And, and so I didn't really want to be a part of that. I wanted to continue to lead the church that we planted in Pasco and be fine. But I, and I, I said I would pray, and I didn't want to be a liar, so I prayed about it, and then God said, you're going to go do it. And I said, no, God, look, people are going to fight. It's going to look like this. And so six months into what I knew what would happen, I told God, I said, God, there's culture clashes. People are feeling like it's a hostile takeover. People are tell, you know, saying that I was demon-possessed, and all these different things. There's hundreds and hundreds, just a ton of conversations that sounded a lot like, uh, this is no good. It's bad. And one day, one of my friends, one of my closest friends, dear to my heart, he says, let's, let's have lunch. And so I sit down with him, and I'm thinking, man, I need, I need life poured into me, because I was feeling pretty toasty, right? I was like, I was done. I was beat up. We sit down, and systematically... He had premeditated three things he wanted to talk to me about. One was that I was a horrible friend, that I needed to level up as a person if I wanted to continue to be his friend. Right, that hurt. And the next thing was, he says, this church is lame, the culture is not good, it's going to fail, it's going to implode, you're doing a bad job. And the third thing he said was, I have feelings for your wife. It was bad. So I... Punched him in the face. 
I did not punch him in the face. I really wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> in a moment where I deeply needed community, where I deeply needed love, where I deeply needed support, I got stabbed in the heart. I've been betrayed and stabbed in the back, but this was a stab in the heart. As I processed this, it took me a while, but I know that that was a, that was a cry for help. The issue was not the issue. He was just looking at some, a target, and I was right there. He, his marriage was not doing so hot, and there was other issues. And so what God said to me was, if, if you truly believe that I'm with you at all times, at all places, for all people, then I think you need to represent me in this moment. And so this man and his wife are doing better. They're in our church. They're still our friends. I don't let him near my wife, but they're still our friends. <laughs> and things are getting better. God is for us and with us. We just need to find him and look for him. If it's true as we close up, if it's true that God is in all places at all times for all people, then we need to imagine him in our darkest moments. May I imagine that he's with us in our darkest moments. If we're missing joy, if we're missing peace, if we're missing hope, then at some level we don't believe the text. We don't believe his word. We have to, come, we have to reconcile with that. Do we believe this? Part of our healing from our past is being able to imagine God with us in those moments. Not necessarily rescuing us from it, but he's with us, bearing the pain with us, crying alongside of us. We've got to ask ourselves, if God is in it all, what does this mean for us right now? Let's go ahead and stand up and we'll, we'll pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. You are always with us. You're, you really, really love us. Lord, help us to remember where, where you've been with us in moments where we thought you weren't, where we felt alone and abandoned. Lord, help us to see you there with us. And in doing so, God, you're, you're putting rebar in our faith. You're strengthening our faith and our hope. I pray that for everyone in this room. And whether we've been walking with Jesus a very short while or just starting to or thinking about it or been walking with Jesus for a long time, that we, we look back and find you in the different places in our lives where we, we thought we were alone and abandoned. Help us to see you, Father. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.